Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we meet two of this year's Annecy Award winners, Regina Pessoa and Jeremy Clapper. Hello, one and all. Welcome back once more to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. Summary, sunny edition. I gather that the weather over in Annecy was sort of rivaling the weather here in England for outright shitness, at least for a few days. Yeah, the first two days uh, were biblical. And I thought the, that the traditional squiggly Joanna Quinn rounders match would have to be uh, changed into a traditional squiggly Joanna Quinn mud wrestling match. But um, thankfully, the three days after the, uh, the deluge was just blistering sunshine. So by the time we got to, to playing rounders, which is what Annis is all about, Ben, we were, you know, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Superb. Overall, how did you find it? Pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it, the festival just this year, I noticed a significant sort of ballooning in the amount of people there and the amount of stuff on offer. Uh, a lot more, uh, a lot more sort of boots on the ground in terms of people and in terms of volunteers. Um, I think they got managed to get near a thousand more attendees this year than they had the year before uh which is absolutely spectacular so we're looking at like 12,000 badge holders uh this year uh which is which is astonishing when you've effectively a you know a, a half decent football grounds worth of people going around wandering around a very small medieval french town um but uh yeah so it did feel it did feel a lot bigger, especially in the queues and especially yeah. uh, when you were out and about in the town. Uh, and a lot of people kind of, that was that was a kind of a major complaint for a lot of people. The fact that it felt, felt bloated and it felt like uh, access had been denied to quite a lot of people. If, uh, if we look back on, you know, previous years, you usually get... Uh, average badge holder gets th- three tickets per day, uh, and if you're there for like five days, then you know that's a, you see a decent amount of stuff. Uh, but I looked at the figures that came through, and it would only seem that the average badge holder gets to see around about you know one or two things uh, per day. So it's 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 kind of it's a little bit different to uh, to previous years. But that being said, you know absolute wealth of you know the creme de la creme of uh, a little bit of french there ben uh, of uh, of the animation industry uh, all milling around all in one place you know all the stuff that makes annecy fantastic you know it was uh, another good year i would say on all in all is the uh, bon lu still manned by heavy duty security guys insisting on <laughs> inspecting every nook and cranny every single bag they are there on every single door, and uh, you can leave the building and go. Oh, right, sorry, I just forgot something. And turn around, they'll go. Let me look in your bag. It's like, well, I've, I've just left. You've just, you've just seen me. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, what? Like, nope, nope. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through your bag, um, which is great because what they do is you, you run up to the door. Uh, so you walk up to the door, and you can just sort of some of them you can just show me bag, open it up, and go. There you go. But my bag's got three zips on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm in a rush, and when I'm literally like running up to the thing, 
they want to look through every single zip. They want to fold the bag inside <laughs> out. They want to leaf through the sketchbooks to make sure there's no guns hidden between the pages. You know, they want to tip the whole thing upside down. Um, and 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 but like, but when I'm not in a rush, they're like, oh, just go through, mate. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, those those beautiful security personnel. Uh, are there for everybody's safety and for their own entertainment, I'm sure, as well. I remember that first year that the uh, Bondly opened up again. That was the year we were carrying pretty much to every event because there would be some interview or something um, that we'd have to do at some point during the day. So we'd have our tripods under our <laughs> arms. Yeah. And you could not get any more weapon-looking <laughs> item yeah. for us journo scum to be touting around. The security was also good inside the building as well. They've, um, I, I love this because you know when you're in the cinema and it doesn't matter whether you're at a, a festival or whether you're at the multiplex. There's always somebody on their phone, okay. yeah, and they're like on WhatsApp when the film's going on, and you, you're trying to concentrate on the screen, but there's this bright white little dot in the in your, the periphery of your vision, and you just really kind of want to concentrate on whatever the hell's going on 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 uh, the phone. Uh, they had laser pens. The security guards had laser pens this year. <laughs> so it looked like you had a sniper on you every time you were playing on your phone. By God, it worked. <laughs> Nothing great. makes you put your phone away quicker than a laser pointer. I think it's good to sort of have that cultivated air of being on edge in an environment like that, because it really has just become the new normal, tapping away. And it makes me feel very old and curmudgeonly. Enjoy the motion picture as it was intended. You're not meant to multitask. Mr. Edison spent long and hard developing this technology for you kids to enjoy. Did anyone actually get taken outside for a drubbing? No. No, No, I don't Uh, think I saw anyone getting sort of dragged away. Um, Next year. Next year, yeah. You can introduce it in increments. Although I would have, I would have applauded it. Seriously, come on, get off your phones. I don't mind people being on the phones. I'm not the sort of person where, you know, oh, look at this picture of people on the bus and they're all on their phones. Yes, because being on a bus is terrible. <laughs> That's fine. Don't worry about that. That's okay. But if you're at a cinema and you've got a huge screen in front of you, why do you want to check your emails? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's the that's uh, the soapbox for this week. But yeah. But in terms of Annecy and in terms of the kind of getting people there, there was a, I don't know if you saw the, the schedule this year, but there was a fair few clashes. Uh, so you had like Toy Story 4 up against uh, Steven Universe, you had Netflix up against Sony, and you had all these kind of big events. Uh, Gendy Tarkovsky, I think, was up against the Looney Tunes cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these sort of big events that people wanted to go to were kind of clashing with other events. And so there's a little bit of trouble there. And I know that uh, those that book their tickets through the website experience crashes, which that that takes me back. The Annecy website mm. crashing. I remember it happened every single year from 2010 to about 2015, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then they finally sort of sorted it out. But this year, a lot of people didn't get to see what they wanted, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, it's because it did feel like they'd worked that out a bit. Because the last time I went to Annecy, that was two years ago, I mm. guess. And uh, the day that the ticketing opened, or like the the 15-minute slot that I knew I had to be online before everything got booked for like press accreditation ticketing, was like right when I was being pedicabbed in Croatia 
from like one cinema to another because I was at uh, Zagreb. Mm. So I'm on my roaming mobile data on the <laughs> Annecy website in a pedicab. It's like a taxi cab with you know, that's being ridden by a guy on a bike right. on cobblestone streets, trying desperately to focus on my screen. Like, and I managed to get everything booked. Like, under those are the worst conceivable circumstances. And the website was working enough back then that I was able to do it. So uh, I guess there's been a drop-off. What are you doing on your phone? Enjoy the moment, Ben. <laughs> Just <laughs> enjoy being on a pedicab. Bloody you kids on your phones. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you got to see what you wanted to see. It was a very good year. If there had been an extra thousand people, I suppose it, uh, it, it might have been a bit less fun. But mm. I don't know. A part of me is like, well, you get the events you want. And if you don't get certain events walk into any pub and there'll be someone you want to hang out with or yeah. just, you know, hang out in the sun or, you know, in a cafe somewhere. Like, there's always enough stuff to kind of make the day go by pretty swimmingly, I would say. Yeah. Well, the pubs were, were where you could definitely see that there were more people there this year. Oh, yeah. Our local um, Captain Pub um, and uh, Café des Arts, um, they, the crowd around those expanded right the way onto the bridge. So I've never I've never been at a bar so busy as that the queue for the bar starts on the other side of a river and you have to cross the bridge, <laughs> go under the building and then into the bar to get served. But yeah, it was great. Absolutely, you know, the absolute hub of animation Annecy is and uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, have you had a chance to acquaint yourself with uh, with any of the winners or uh, any of the any of the films or special events or anything that's that's that was happening last week some stuff that i caught wind of um as it was going up on such fine websites as squiggly.com mm-hmm. i really like the look of the new looney tunes shows from what i've seen it's very possible that they kind of plucked out the ones that would perhaps most resemble the sort of golden days of that particular world but I liked it, you know, I thought it did a much better job in the sense of, like, not trying to contemporize it in the sort of, like, sad middle-aged way of, hey, let's give them baseball caps on sideways. Yeah. Let's you know, let's have Bugs Bunny rap. Let's do lunatics. Remember lunatics? Oh, f*** me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Any contemporization is going to have a little, like, susan of cringe... This, I guess, it didn't feel like a 100% successful successor to what they were at that time in history. You know, you'd never really be able to capture that. Mm. But it was a pretty, I thought, worthwhile tribute, if nothing else. That type of modernization, I guess, of a concept I'm always a bit more like at ease with than trying to just really like throw in some uh, insanity juice, mm. really make it uh, hit for the kids. Like, uh, oh, Christ. I'll, I'll be brief about this one because I, it's, I think people are kind of exhausted about it, but f***ing Aladdin. <laughs> to punish myself, I haven't seen the film, but I put on the new version of the soundtrack a couple of weeks ago. And every f***ing song, they've laid down a JJFP f***ing beat, I guess because of Will Smith. Yeah. And uh, it just bummed me out. It was just... <laughs> Like, by the time the original Aladdin animated film came out, it was already such a joke, like, to add, like, a rap beaten bass line to a song 
and sort of have that kind of cringy like dad rap over the top of it. The whole like early 90s hip hopification of the Aladdin soundtrack in a movie that came out a month ago was a bit rough. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that I think that rubs me a little uh, raw is uh, it's new, it's fresh, it's down with the youth. So let's make it sound 30 years old. Yeah. This I think worked better cuz it uh, they made it seem 80 years old. Nice. But I haven't seen very much of it. I've only seen the stuff that's been, I think, released online. Uh, I'm not sure when or in what form it's coming out down the line. What I'm really keen on seeing, uh, and I imagine we'll learn a bit more about it, uh, is this film from Jeremy Clapan, Mm. who uh, we spoke to a long time ago on the uh, website. He made a film called Palmipedarium, Mm -hmm. I believe it was called, and he did a film before that called Skitzine, which everyone... Uh, was absolutely in love with when it came out. So I love the idea of him doing a feature, but uh, I suppose we'll circle back around to that in due course. Mm. Going through like the award winners, quite a few of these uh, have crossed my path. I've been doing pre-selection for a couple of things. So stuff like the new film from the Logorama guy. Uh, yeah, My Generation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ludwig uh, Hooplan, is it? Yes. If that's what I'm um, saying... Is it? Because I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these names right. Anyone who would have tuned into the uh, live screen that I did with Aaron uh, will know that I just sort of babble through names. And yeah, Ludwig Hooplin. Hooplin, Hooplin, Hooplin. You've narrowed it down. Good, good, (laughs) good. A rough phonetic uh, translation. (laughs) That one jury distinction for social significance. Was that like an award that was actually in the wings or did they create it for that? Yeah, I think this is like so. Obviously, the the jury for for short film they get one. You know, you get you yeah. get the jury award and you get the short film award. You know, so, uh, sorry, you get two. That's not one. Uh, so you get two awards, and then you get to award. You know, if the jury are getting on, they usually say, "Oh, can we can we have a, another award? Can we get another award?" And at, and at Manchester Animation Festival, we say, "No, they're really expensive." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but uh, it would seem that they've decided to give distinctions and, you know, uh, give a, a well-earned round of applause and maybe a little something for uh, for my generation. I think the same one, uh, Jury Distinction, for its powerful storytelling went to Drive as well. So, uh, yeah, it would seem that that's just kind of like special mention, but with mm. an award, which is cool. What do you think of Drive? I, I was really kind of... Uh, I really loved it. Mm. I think it really kind of encapsulated that, uh, you know, birth of evil kind of thing. Did it really well. Wasn't the most tense thing that I've ever seen, but it kind of, it did a really good job. I like the framing. I like the fact that it wasn't just set somewhere. They had considered that it was, you know, it's floating in this immense black space and it seemed rather isolated. And I think it did a good job in that regard. Uh, Have you seen it? What do you make? Uh, similarly, I liked the um, I liked that kind of look and that sort of aerial lighting approach and modeling approach mm. to the character. I, I sort of pers- there are a couple of areas where I felt like in one area, like the post production, I suppose could have been yanked back a little bit, mm. like the kind of like opening credits to seven approach to the glitchy jump cuts and stuff like that mm. has been a little overdone in genre films. I think maybe it could have still been in it, but maybe been a bit more effective, like if used a bit more sparingly. 
the general approach to the editing I thought was great. The kind of like back and forth between one scenario and this kind of like violent machinations and things like that. And I'm not sure if this was deliberate, but the walk cycles were a bit off. And I'm not sure if that was kind of like deliberately to sort of make you feel a bit uncomfortable. But like, if you look at the way his feet and legs move, say in a shot where a character's walking along the ground and you can see the ground under his feet, he's kind of sliding a bit. Mm. And that stood out quite a lot because the rest of the environment had such a sort of painstaking attention to detail so the weird walk sort of seemed a little, like, distracting, but that may have been a deliberate aesthetic choice. Mm. Another film that I kind of wish had maybe toned down the post-production... I'm just a post-production uh, salty bitch today. <laughs> uh, but I did really like was... Um, I think it was a student film, Daughter. Was that a student film? Uh, grad film, yes. Right. So stop-motion grad film, yeah. I mean, that was very reminiscent of working on Chuck, which was paying very specific homage to the, all those tropes of action movie filmmaking where the camera is sort of always on the move. Uh, but, of course, you don't animate a camera weave when you're doing the stop-motion. That would add a ridiculous level of labor, so you add that in later. And also, one of the things... People who have seen, I think, the clips of Chuck Steele that have been released will know that there's also this kind of artificial motion blur effect that's been added to every shot, which gives the puppets this very bizarre kind of sense about them. It feels almost as if you're watching live-action puppetry in some shots. Mm. And it seemed like there was a similar kind of blend of camera weave and post-production motion effects applied in Daughter to set up certain scenes. It wasn't there throughout, but certain scenes such as like the kind of establishing interactions between the girl and her father and things where it kind of had this like energy that put you on edge a bit. And I, I like the idea of that, but it just seemed like it had been like yanked up a notch and could maybe have been pulled back by a certain percentage point in After Effects <laughs> or whatever it was that they used for that. The reason why that's a shame to me, and maybe it's just because of the eyes I'm looking at it through, is that I have such enthusiasm for the stop-motion animation, so the more you kind of like visually obfuscate it, it just is a bit of a shame. There isn't a frame, uh, going back to Chuck, that isn't exactly how Mike, the director, wanted it to look, but there were some shots where you'd look at the raw stop-motion footage before adding anything, like even the crucial essential special effects, and like, f*** that was so well animated. Hmm. And it was almost like you'd be painting over it or adding in fire, and it's heartbreaking because you're covering up this great animation. Like, oh man, these, like this demon boob bounce is so frame-perfect, and I'm covering it all up and ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the, the animator's lament. The demon boob is bouncing too well. But the the camera weave in this was like watching an episode of The Shield. It was like you sort of you know, the the energy of the film is like every drug dealer is coming now, <laughs> and that's not really sort of necessarily the energy of what the actual story of the film maybe would have been best served by. Mm. That aside, I mean, I, I I don't know why I'm just leading with complaints about these films. They're great films. I did watch, um, I didn't see it uh, elsewhere, but I did see in the Annecy um, portal there uh, that you sent me, uh, Memorable, which I, I love the look of, but I couldn't uh, work out how to get subtitles on it. So I've seen it in French. Oh, right. Memorable. 
Well, okay, so let's let's talk about Memorable because it, it won the Audience Award and then it won the Cristal for short film. And I I really liked it. I mean, I don't know what you'll think about it when you know what it's about because it'll all fall into place, but it's about a guy who's suffering memory loss. He's suffering dementia, he's suffering Alzheimer's or some variant of, of that. Mm-hmm. And so when he is looking down at his phone and the phone is a puddle, or when he's looking up at the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is a big shard of metal or like lead or something, that's due to his, that's a result of his um, uh, dementia. And when he's in the bathroom and he's talking to the mirror, that's him thinking that he's talking to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you, the film is very kind of focused on that deterioration. And without giving away the ending, you can make you can make your own decision about the ending there, Ben, as to, you know, where he is with, in terms of his uh, faculties. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful film. It's a really well done piece of work. I really like the fact that uh, as he as he deteriorates, the style of the puppet changes. The, he's he's made to look like a Vincent Van Gogh painting, I would say, like an impressionist painting. Uh, and as he deteriorates, the brush strokes get thicker on this puppet character, uh, and they they change. And his environment is is created perfectly. It is a it's a superb piece of stop motion filmmaking. Um, but it, it has been met with with a bit of criticism that I heard at the festival. I was speaking to uh, one of our writers or somebody who writes for uh, numerous uh, places and uh, he had quite an intriguing criticism and I wonder what you take what your take on this is Ben um, is that it seems to be quite a a typical go-to for award-winning winning or critically acclaimed animated short films to go for the memory loss angle mm. and to go for the dementia angle or the Alzheimer's angle because uh, something that perhaps reflects humanity or the way that we have to interpret somebody's journey along those ways are an intriguing device for any animator or short filmmaker I'm sure and obviously the audience somebody that somebody's bound to know somebody who's affected by that yeah uh, or be able to understand that but the criticism aimed at the fact that it is quite a well trodden ground what do you make of that well, I think it's on point. It's very common. You see at least one a year that's doing the rounds in quite a big way to varying degrees of success. Uh, I know there's at least one other that I've seen this year done in a very different way, in a different sort of style, although I've seen other films that are very similar to it. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the issue of recurring themes in films especially perceivably criticism-proof recurring themes. Yeah. Uh, mental illness, societal issues, political issues, deaths in the family, things that are inarguably... One is loath to kind of condemn a filmmaker for, for going down that road because it's obviously something very personal to them. You can smell a disingenuous one a mile off. Yes. And that what I find is interesting is like there, there are a couple where it's just like the sad film about grandma or grandpa dying. Mm. But it's it's a kind of sort of fictionalized like very 
maudlin clawing trying to like tug at your heartstrings kind of thing whereas something very simple that you can tell comes from an honest place will have an enormous impact there was a wonderful film a couple years ago uh negative space Mm. and the guy who learned to pack from his dad and it turns out he's as he's imparting this he's packing for his dad's funeral and that's great because it also had a bit of a punchline at the end like it wasn't a side splitter but it was quite an affectionate nice little way to end it so the dementia one you know i I do see a lot it's generally in my experience has been done rather well i think there was like there was a feature film about a woman who was kind of like gone a bit addled um there's also wrinkles wasn't there as well lost property Mm. Uh, late afternoon yeah and then again i remember when we were talking about that film mamoon and there had been a real glut of films about the refugee crisis. Now, the thing is, when you, you, you make a film that is dealing with very well-trodden ground, I think the only thing that can kind of negate the criticism of, well, okay, we've had this conversation before, or this has been done before, is if the filmmaker has artistically taken it to a place that is quite distinct from the other films. Yeah. Uh, I would say that could be argued for memorable yeah. You know, when I, I think maybe some of the other films perhaps had a lot more in common in terms of their approach to design and animation and a lot of recurring sort of visual ideas of, you know, the way um, memories and real life kind of morph into one another. Doesn't make them bad films, but it does, I think, make a film like this. You appreciate the distinct qualities of it. And the ones that we mentioned, you know, they all handle it in a completely diff- in different ways. You know, they're all yeah. very different stories, very personal stories. You can't compare Late Afternoon to Memorable. You can't compare Memorable to Lost Property. You know, these uh, these films stand out in their own in their own right. They stand out in their own way, uh, and they create unique kind of stories, which uh, the directors tackling uh, that that particular issue. Um, and I think your point there about the disingenuous ones is, yeah, that's a very good point because none of these films are disingenuous. They are produced with a with a real quality and a real heart to them and a real the real voice of the director really comes through with them. I do think that, yeah, you do get that sort of disingenuous thing maybe perhaps and without, without having a go at, you see it a lot in student works where they'll make a film about a tired old man and this is twenty-one-year-old making it. Yeah, and it's, it's it gets imparting like, their worldly wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that kind of uh, disingenuousness is is absolutely completely missing from memorable. Uh, I would say, but uh, it's interesting to as we kind of we look at our um, our industry, our our, our world of, of animated short films, and see the kind of patterns that emerge. Just find it an interesting point and a fair point to make. Elsewhere, I see the Off Limits Award uh, went to Thomas Rinalda, who uh, I sort of know, and I've seen the film. Um, it's it's been kind of divisive. I've, I've talked about it a few times with various people, and like the length was kind of worked against it for me. It would have been, I think, quite a satisfying one or two minute film, and it just goes on and on and on. And I think the idea is that it goes on and on and on to the point of like absurdism, and then it becomes funny which is certainly something I've been guilty of in the past in my film, so I can't really talk. But it's the the execution of it, the sort of the... 
people haven't seen it, uh, it's called Don't Know What, and it's uh, the director films himself. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Sorry, I was, try- I was trying to remember which one it was. I was going to, you might have heard me Googling, but yes, yeah, yeah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> it's just the, basically the animation, I think, comes from the editing. Mm. But I mean, Off Limits as a category, it's a fairly recent category in Annecy, uh, where Marcel, I think, kind of makes this point of siphoning the ones where it's really sort of like debatable is that even animation into just one screening so you kind of know what you're in for and i've seen some fantastic films in that category yeah and some of them i would say probably weren't animation but i'm glad i got to see them you know it's it's a interesting element of the festival I, i don't know if anyone really has any issues with it or not well, I think you know, if animation is a conversation, this is, these are conversation starters, every single one of them. Mm. If you are looking at that going, is that animation? Is that what animation is? You know, we don't have a definition for animation. We just use this word. And, you know, a different person's interpretation of... A person's interpretation of animation will differ to the next person. You know, we all know the sort of basics, you know, one frame at a time kind of thing. But is that the same if you've got some sort of procedurally generated animation or... Uh, you know, the, so these questions kind of open up, and uh, I think that's why the pubs in Annecy are so full. Maybe <laughs> people just scratching their heads, going, "Was it? Is it animation? Is it editing? Is it? You know?" Is it, I'm not sure. Let's get some more beers in. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Was well, like when um, we talked about this quite a bit, but when Man O' Man was doing the rounds, mm. that was like so barely animation, but we're like, <laughs> F- it, I want it. Yeah, it's too good a film, so I'm going to plant the animation flag in it and claim it as one of ours. Yeah, I think Simon, the director, was always kind of of the mind that it it was animation more than anything, and it is just yeah, it's down to I think the viewer and different people's interpretations. To me, I've always classified live action puppetry as performance over animation, mm. but I think for some people, the main thing about it is the puppet, and not the performance. So then they tend to classify it as animation. Or that it's being performed through a puppet makes it animation. You know, sort of stop motion in real time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you wouldn't have been able to produce a film like Man O' Man without the same skill sets required to make a film like, well, like memorable. You know, uh, uh, stop motion animation. You know, a film like Man O' Man also, you know, the, the mouths are animated. So which you could argue is post, you could argue is VFX on top of live action. You could keep arguing all day long, Ben. But uh, if a director says it's animation, that's good enough for me. So, yeah, there was that one and a couple others I think I saw. Well, I guess the main one worth uh, chatting about, as uh, we will be speaking with the director very shortly, won a couple of awards. I think it won one of the special category awards for music. And then later on won Jury Award, uh, which is the new film from Regina Pessoa. Mm. Uncle Thomas Accounting for the Days, which is her first film in quite a long time. I think the last film that she made sort of came out just before I really kind of dove into the world of uh, pestering animation directors and <laughs> asking them for interviews. And it's a shame because it was such a lovely film. It's called Carly the Little Vampire. Mm. I'm sure a lot of people, if they don't recognize it from the name, would recognize it from clips or the still. She has this very immediately identifiable approach to her drawing style. And her films are actually quite different from one another but similar enough that they're sort of identifiably hers which is a a tricky balancing act to get right i'd say Mm. one of the main i think uh, recurring elements of her work that sort of stands out the most is this hyper detailed approach to the volume and shading of the characters 
which is boiled down to this, you know, infinitesimally detailed array of line and brush strokes. It's it is in, it is incredible the the amount of detail that goes into it, and it, and it, when you, I mean, every every single frame looks like it could have taken hours and hours and hours to put together just through its composition. Yeah, you know, the lighting, the shade, the this is this is an absolute master at work. It's really good stuff. So as a 2D animator, like that's something that I find like absolutely like bewildering. Mm. <laughs> so we talk a little bit about that and how she actually does it, what her kind of system is for that. But I guess to sort of like give you guys a bit more background about the film, obviously you know it's uh, just played Nancy. Before that, I think it premiered at uh, Anima Festa Greb and coming up in July, I think it's going to play at Anima Mundi. If Anima Mundi happens, been hearing that it's struggling a bit. Yeah, fingers crossed. Which I would say, if you know anyone who appreciates the arts, maybe wants to check out their plight at the moment. If you look up Anima Mundi, I think they're they're trying to raise some funds to get this year's edition uh, going. But the clock's ticking because it's going to be in like less than a month. I uh, I actually have. A, I'll get back to the matter at hand shortly. But just as a quick aside, I um, have a pretty fond association with anima mundi like they one of the first really big festivals to show any of my work and they showed quite a few of my films over the years as well as other projects that i've been involved with and that always led to a lot of really positive feedback and there are some festivals where they just kind of happen and then there are festivals where you get like a bit of a surge of attention or enthusiasm and anima mundi always had that kind of vibe so I always appreciated that. So I hope they carry on. Mm. Uh, that being said, they didn't include my last film. And now they're in these money troubles. So <laughs> coincidence, I don't know. Two plus two. So yeah, hopefully it'll play Anima Monday as well. Well, uh, I think the Anima Monday thing, uh, Monday, good God. <laughs> the Anima Monday thing really kind of show, showcases the kind of the fragile nature of, of, of our kind of how we view and consume our short films and why festivals should be really supported and cherished even, you know, in terms of uh, supported. I mean, there's there's been arguments I've read online where people have said uh, that they regret paying a submission fee to a festival. Now, if a submission fee is expensive and they don't communicate with you when you haven't got your film through, then absolutely, f*** them, they're awful. But if you could really think of paying a festival fee and think about it as basically it's Kickstarter for animation festivals and animation fans, it's not the perfect analogy, but you're really supporting the arts. You know, um, we don't charge it at Manchester Animation Festival, but we might have to one day because of the nature of film fund uh, animation festival funding. Uh, not that there is a thing called animation festival funding. Uh, that would be a good thing. But, you know, festival funding and, uh, you know, uh, grants and, and money from, uh, you know, benevolent uh, places. But, you know, anima, if Anima Mundi goes, you know, that's three decades of animation celebration in, in, in South America. And it's going to be a major blow for the world of, 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 of animation. Yeah, when, especially when you can get the impression that because events do go under sometimes. I mean, Manchester, its predecessor was Bradford, and circumstances, I think, that were not foreseen ultimately kind of 
put the kibosh on that. Mm. Uh, the Holland Animation Film Festival, everyone seems absolutely, like, you know, in love with. And it was such a kind of, like, palpable blow when that went down. And um, hopefully, now that it's gotten a kind of second life via click, that'll be a good thing for it. You think that these things are just, like, absolute mainstay. Oh, and Cardiff, I guess. I don't really know why Cardiff originally stopped. Um, I just remember, like, when Lauren and Danny and that lot brought back a Cardiff Animation Festival, it came up a lot that the Animation Festival in Cardiff was, like, the shit, you know? Mm. The shit in the good sense. Yes. But, yeah, stuff like you just think will be around forever, circumstances can change, and not that slowly, you know, they can really sneak up on people, and sucks. Fingers crossed. Mm. Either way, I'm sure we're going to be seeing uh, quite a bit of it. Uh, hopefully it'll play at a festival near you. Uh, like I say, it's called Uncle Thomas. Accounting for the days, I have the synopsis in front of me. It's about the special relationship between Regina Pessoa and her uncle. The short film is a testament to her love for this eccentric, who was an artistic inspiration and played a key role in her becoming a filmmaker. It's also a moving tribute to a poet of the everyday, who was obsessed by numbers and calculations. Uh, so this is a film about Regina's childhood in Portugal and this kind of traces I think that very initial inciting artistic impulse back to this relationship that she has with her uncle or had and sort of paying tribute to his memory now this is kind of interesting we were just talking about like the 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 sad film about the, the dead family member but this film isn't cut from that cloth it's not so much about like I'm sad because he's no longer with us. It's more like, now that he's no longer with us and I have this catalogue of memories that I can kind of firmly make into a film, I want to pay him the respect that I've always felt. And I think that perhaps a part of it might have been sort of waiting for her own artistic ability to sort of match perhaps the uh, the tribute that she wanted to pay him uh, or that what she envisaged, you know? It's a, it's a difficult thing, isn't it, when you're making a film for yourself? Yeah. You know, I suppose she has dealt with with fiction in in terms of like Callie the little vampire and there's no real kind of well there is obviously you want to create an amazing film every time you put you know pen to paper or whatever you need to you, you you're expressing something but that added personal uh, semi autobiographical side of things and especially with a family member who has encouraged artistic uh, endeavors it must have come as something of a uh, a challenge mm. to an extent i'm sure it was I, th- I think it was probably because it was something that she kind of had in her as an idea i think for a while there would have been challenging elements so i think the challenges were probably more the sort of technical approaches because there was a real enthusiasm to push it outside of the comfort zone i guess that she was used to which was largely staying within the realm of 2d animation mm. So she talks a bit about uh, how she has pushed that a bit with each film, but really had gotten so far as to extend into digital processes. But this, I think, was her first short film project where she really incorporates artifacts from real life and stop motion and pixelation and the sort of mixed media approaches to how the film is constructed and how everything kind of comes together and holds together. But yeah, it's uh, NFB produced as with uh, several of her previous films. It seems like a pretty perfect pairing. This fits really well with you know what they do and the kind of things that they uh, 
they strive for in storytelling and stuff that will engage audiences. And the, I said before, like, it's not sad. It, it's quite sad, I suppose. It is more, I think, feel good in a sort of, there's always sadness when someone isn't with us anymore. But when they've really, like, had an impact on who you are, it's almost less about the person and more about what shapes us as people. But also what I found really fascinating about this film is the attention that she gives to the idiosyncrasies of her uncle, these kind of manic propensities he has toward bookkeeping, like keeping accounts of everything, an obsession with numbers, an obsession with order. He had some shit going on mm. that has left behind this wealth of incredibly aesthetically satisfying documents and journals and tools and trinkets and things like that that she's she's used the actual like artifacts in the film and that's wonderful i love that kind of thing mm. so it's not only a tribute to him he's he's a presence in the film fantastic well probably best to hear about the making of the film from the director herself shall we hear from regina pessoa mm, yes please so you were born in portugal yes how was the art scene sort of growing up was that something that uh, was it a good environment to evolve as an artist when I was a student at that time, it was in the 90s, there was no animation teaching in Portugal. So I, I never studied animation. I studied painting in a conventional art school. Nice. But in that field in art, uh, it was very interesting and uh, it was broad. And uh, I could make animation through my studies. So, although I didn't study animation, finally, through the, the school, I met people who were working in animation, and I ended up following this path. So, what sort of uh, first dabblings in animation did you find yourself doing? Uh, were you working to begin with, or were you involved in independent stuff? Exactly. Uh, as you know, Portugal is a small country and uh, there is no industry. There is not uh, commercial animation studios. So what there was and uh, still is, it's small animation studios at that time, very, very few that developed independent work. And it was almost what I was, the kind of images that I was developing my art school, mm. but only these images were moving. It was with uh, a lot of plastic qualities, organic images. And that's how I met animation through independent films. Mm. And somehow how I fell in love with animation. It's what I like in animation. It's this marginal, more yeah. marginal side. From your sort of experience then, what kind of led to you directing your first film? It was a learning process because, as I said, I didn't know anything about animation. I not even knew that this kind of animation existed. Mm. I was an art student. I was studying painting. And it's an expensive studies with all the materials and canvas. And I was looking for a part-time job. And uh, some people saw my my work at school, my 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 drawings, and advised me to to go to that studio 
they were starting some new short with uh, the kind of visuals in the kind of uh, work that I was developing. So I went to that studio, I showed my work, and they they told me, okay, you'll start tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started next day, first painting uh, with final art, and after a month, they trust me more and they gave me something to in between. They explained me how I should work. And then after a while, learning by doing it, the director of the studio said to the young people, now, you know, there are the Portuguese Commission film is opening um, funding for new shorts. You should try to apply, develop your own ideas. When I start uh, trying to make to put something on my on, on paper, it was, I realized how hard it mm. is to start the film. And the uh, more I tried, less good it was. And I was freaking so much that I tried to follow the script rules that I more or less have in mind with the introduction, development, the, the structure. And it was really terrible. And then the director of the studio so I was struggling so much and he said oh no no stop stop with all this mess no don't worry just relax and think about something that is important for you that really meant something for you or that evoke strong images for you and just think about that and uh, follow this path and somehow the people who will see those images will feel that involvement, that commitment. So when I said that, it kind of clicked in my head. Mm. And I told myself, oh, something simple uh, that evokes strong images. Then I remembered when I was a kid, I was afraid of the darkness. And uh, it was not even a story. It was uh, a setup. So that's how I started and how I made my first film. Hmm. <laughs> and I guess the first few films, they all seem to be kind of rooted in a certain childhood aspect. Did you find that looking toward that part of your life was an effective like catalyst for getting ideas generated? In my case, yes. Hmm. Because as I said, I, I didn't have the um, script background. Right. Uh, I didn't really know how to <laughs> start stories from scratch. Mm -hmm. So um, somehow trying to avoid a difficulty, which is I'm not brilliant enough to create stories from scratch. I realized that for me, it was um, a possibility to work with my own material, with little things that I, I knew and uh, I... I have, I still have very strong images and situations from my childhood that uh, I start de developing them. Hmm. I think the first film of yours I saw would have been the last one of the three, Kali, The Little Vampire. And I remember hmm. that one, I think it was playing in Bristol here, and it being quite striking, but also quite resonant. Like, it felt a bit like perhaps, even though, you know, it's about a vampire, that it was also kind of perhaps a little autobiographical as well? Yes, mm -hmm. a lot, because, well, 
my mother uh it's uh, my mother was a kind of my muse uh because my mother was different uh she had uh, schizophrenia so somehow uh she was i uh, i know what it is not to be different but live with uh, someone different so i get inspiration a lot from that situation and um uh that feeling that we'd like so much to be like the others but uh well we are what we are mm. and uh so uh yes i uh there are a lot of personal inspiration uh in that film and in the others as well mm. i mean definitely with this new film it seems like in more of a kind of direct sense sort of a memoir would you consider this new film being part of the same series, I suppose, as the previous films, or is it more of a separate entity? My previous film somehow is like I was in the point of view of the character. I was somehow the character. That's why with Kali, I said to myself, no, I need to finish this, to put the end to this theme of childhood uh, I, I need to make peace with childhood mm. somehow that's why the character dies it's his childhood that is left left behind and uh, well somehow he finds a place in the world so to place myself uh, as the character I finish with that mm. now what I think I what was my intention is to view this childhood in perspective it's what I tried to do with Uncle Thomas. It's me from this, an adult, see my childhood in perspective. But from here, from the point of view of the adult I am now. I see. Uh, for the benefit of people who haven't yet seen it, could you tell us a little bit about the story and the genesis of the film and your relationship with your uncle? Well, my uncle was a bachelor which means that they had no kids and they had not a regular job. So when I was a kid, they had a lot of time for us, the, 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 his nephews. And he was very gentle with us. And it was with him that I started growing. And he, was a, he has a, a unique personality. We started drawing in a very unusual way. We used to draw on the walls with big drawings with charcoal from the fireplace. So somehow there was this freedom. I lived this freedom that even when we don't have proper materials like pencils and paper, we there is is also possible to find solutions. So that's how I start drawing. But this uncle uh, had some manias as well. I knew always that uh, he was a, uh, he had a different personality and uh, some obsessions with numbers. He, he liked to do calculations. And he, ha he had a lot of material uh, for himself, these numbers, these subjects, and all this fascinated me all, all, all my childhood. And I always had this intention, now oh, I should do something about Uncle Thomas. And um, he, he was some someone that really touched me 
it was important to me. It was not important to, to no one. It was not an important person, but it was important to me. And somehow I wanted to show with my film that it's not necessary to be exceptional, to be important to someone. And this was my personal statement with this film. It felt very infused with, I guess, that artistic influence and it being a bit more of a kind of hybrid film than the earlier work, which was, I mean, there's stylistically a lot of consistency, but using sort of various other elements and artifacts and documents and stuff. And the artifacts actually themselves, like the documents, were they his actual notebooks and writings or were they like reproductions? No, they were uh, his real objects, oh. uh, his pen knives, his notes, um, his uh, diaries. It was my intention to use the real material, hmm. and it was also my intention to use mixed media. And here, what I also try to do is to combine what I learned all these years. As I said, I studied painting, I studied art so normally we use a lot of mixed media when in art school but when i started animation i started doing 2d okay with a lot of texture visuals but still 2d then i evolved to with kali to digital animation still with a lot of texture but still just 2d and with this film, uh, I had this intention to try to figure out if, if it was possible to use all my background with the, the things, the real material, the real objects that I kept from my uncle um, with my uh, 2D style that I developed and also with what I learned from uh, the use of uh, digital media. Mm. I'm glad that uh, I also learned that. And my ambition, it was to manage to combine all these languages in a coherent way uh, with all the materials I'm, I wanted to use. And uh, I, I can say that I'm, I'm pretty happy with the result. I really used a lot of techniques and uh, they fuse well together in my point of view. I'm satisfied. Absolutely. I, I was re-watching it uh, this afternoon, and it doesn't overwhelm the story at all. It doesn't feel like it's, you know, there for the sake of being there. It just creates this wonderful environment. The element, I guess, from your previous films that's also sort of present here, mainly with the character animation, and it's something I completely fell in love with, with Kali. Uh, is just the degree, I guess, of that sort of textural multi-pen stroke shading, <laughs> which I, it's one of these things as a sort of quasi-artist myself, I'd love to be able to do, but would never be able to keep track of. And I was kind of wondering, because it's it stays so consistent from frame to frame, is there like a process you have or measures do you have to kind of keep track of that level of textural detail without it sort of boiling or going all over the place, or is it just <laughs> intuition? 
you know what i work with a team believe it or not <laughs> so what i do i develop my system and these textures for this film were done digitally and i develop my process so i really prepare all the key drawings all the textures that i think in, when i'm developing a scene that are important for the my assistants to follow these uh, key frames, key drawings, and following also the, the volume of the, because this is what I like, is the, and I think is what you meant, this texture that cover the, the character and cover also his volume and doesn't, uh, as you say, go all over the place yeah. when it moves. So I really prepare try to prepare well my scenes so when i pass these scenes to my assistants they have no problem to follow my indications because the way i i work uh, as the key drawings are very precise they can duplicate the texture for the in-betweens to the next uh, frame and just change where it needs to be changed. Yeah. So it's like a skin. Uh, it's somehow frame by frame, but it's like a, a skin that is uh, attached mm -hmm. to the, the, the character. That's great. I guess because it kind of, going back to your earlier work, it remains sort of identifiably you as well. Actually, on that note, I guess with Tragic Story, was that, the first time you'd worked with the NFB, or did you have a relationship beforehand? Uh, me, personally, it was the first time I was working uh, with NFB. Uh, Abi, my Portuguese producer, he had already a long relation mm -hmm. uh, previously with NFB, because as a student, he made a kind of internship there in the 80s, during five months, where he, he made his first film. And when he came back to Portugal, he kept this relation with the NFB. And later, one of his films was also a co-production with Canada. And as he became my producer, the relation that he already had with Canada helped me to also have this relation with my films. Mm. So it it's, uh, comes from the 80s. Okay. Uh, not with me, but uh, through my uh, Portuguese producer. Mm. I guess ultimately then you've continued to work with their involvement. Do you find that it's a positive, for lack of a better word, influence on you creatively, like having them be production partners? I love to work with them. Mm -hmm. I really do. And it's, I started, as you say, uh, these co-productions, international co-productions with France and Canada. And it's very good for the films in several points. One point, it, all the countries involved bring more money, so the budget is better and we can make a, a better piece of work. This is one reason, uh, for financing reasons. But another reason is to work with a good structure like them. They really have good professionals and they improve the, their points of view, their comments improve the film, always. Mm. And this is a big reason. Also, uh, as normally when I do a film in the co-production, I, re I really have to go to make a, 
a creative part of the film in each country. Like uh, uh, the animation uh, was done in France and normally the music is in Canada. So artistically, it made me grow a lot, made me grow a lot to go to these countries and experience to work with professionals, uh, with different approaches, uh, good professionals, uh, it made me grow a lot. And a final reason is if the film, if a, sh a short film, uh, it's a pity, but it, his life is also short, as you know, there is no proper distribution for a short film. So if we have more than one country involved, like three countries normally, it's what I have, it means that three countries will fight for this film as well. And so it spreads also the life of the, the, the short and uh, it will be viewed for more, by more people. Mm. This is w uh, one important reason as well. That was Regina Pessoa, director of Uncle Thomas Accounting for the Days, which just picked up two awards at the Annecy Animation Film Festival. Very well deserved, they are too. Another film that uh, won an award at Annecy, which I haven't seen yet, I'm very intrigued by it. We mentioned briefly before uh, Jeremy Clapin, the director, and he has a film... It is, I guess, feature length. It is. And uh, is it called I Lost My Head? I Lost My Body. I Lost My Body, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I don't really know. I've seen the teaser. I don't really know much else about it other than a lot of people have been, like, really singing its praises. Hmm. Based on the shorts that he's done, I imagine it's rather good. What was your take on it, Stephen? I really want to add to that chorus. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic film. It's a really difficult thing to get right. You look at a film about uh so for those that may not have seen the trailer um please go and watch it uh the film's called uh, i lost my body and it's about a disembodied hand that tries to find its owner hmm. its owner is a a young a young man who's uh now fell who's down on his luck he is uh hopelessly romantic in terms of trying to win the affections of somebody who doesn't quite care for him as much as he would like. And the scrapes or the seemingly simple kind of route that takes him to, uh, to the, to the event in the film where, where he loses his hand and the film is done in flashback. It does not, patronize the audience by having uh Neufeld go I wonder where my hand is or you know or, or any of that kind of stuff it is I don't think I've used this word to describe any film that I've reviewed on Squiggly or that I've seen but I would say it's probably as close to a masterpiece as I've seen as an animated feature <laughs> I found it was full of just genius moments a film about a disembodied hand wandering around, you instantly think, cousin it. Oh, cousin it? Thing. Thing from the Adams family. Cousin it was the hairy guy. The big hair. I always get them mixed up. <laughs> but, you know, pronoun yeah. trouble, I think Daffy Duck calls that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you instantly think uh, of Thing from Adams family, this hand that sort of wanders around and uh, is used to comic effect. 
not in the slightest in this film. And there are genius moments in which that make us care for this hand. Because this is not just... This isn't Neufeld's hand. This is a completely different character that represents a lot of the anguish and turmoil that the main character has been through. The the hand as a character itself isn't flawless. Uh, it has a, a kind of a supernatural edge to it. And you believe that it can see, that it can smell, that it can judge, that it can... Uh, choose its its directions that it goes in and for you to be able to do that and for you to be constantly engaged is a real achievement for any director the film isn't fast-paced there are fast-paced moments there are some beautiful sentimental slow moments which keep you effortlessly engrossed moments uh, such as when uh, Nufel first falls in love uh, by the the intercom which lasts ages but not an not a second is wasted uh, the tension which builds up when you're uh, considering how he's going to lose his hand and when the moment actually happens uh, it is a shock even though it's quite obvious <laughs> that it's going to happen the composition the subtlety of the animation the the wonder of of what the hand represents and if it actually happened and the magic and mystery surrounding that but not magic in a kind of harry potter way not in a kind of in your face magic but the kind of it's cinema magic it's it's just a master masterpiece i can't i really can't describe it in any other, any better terms i think especially kind of impressive in making the hand a main character and this is drawn in a pretty, you know, I mean, it has its own kind of style that isn't photorealism by any means, but the hand is proportioned in a pretty anatomically real way. Uh, hands are f***ing hard. Yes. They are not easy to draw. Yes. And I imagine to animate, they must be a bugger too. So, uh, you know, hats off. Well, when, hand, he, when, he, when he, was, <laughs> he was signing postcards and he was drawing a hand on every single one of them. But like like a frame from the film, he wasn't messing around. He wasn't just oh, wow. doing like sausage fingers. He, he yeah. And I, I was just looking at it in awe, going, "Blimey, that's great!" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is it is a an absolutely amazing film, and great to see uh, you know Jeremy Clapan do use this kind of um, this disembodied style that he's used in the past with um, with his previous film, but to see it feature length and to see it kind of uh, on the big screen is just an absolute treat. Is there any indication as to where it's going to be headed or if it's coming to the UK anytime soon? It's it's going to be released through Netflix so we'll all be able to see it and I would encourage people to find a friend who's got the biggest screen possible uh, turn the lights off, make it, uh, make it an actual event you know, uh, enjoy watching it because it is uh, it's a great film. Don't don't put it on in the background. Don't be one of these people that says, oh, I'm just going to watch something on in the background while I do my animation. No, it's a film that deserves uh, deserves all your attention and you will f- you'll find it's time well spent. So yeah, I think Netflix and uh, maybe a limited run, maybe festivals. We'll we'll see, won't we? Yeah, well, I'm sh- I'm sure some festivals will want to grab it up. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. 
But yeah, so um, we were really lucky. We caught up with um, the director, very busy man who's just uh, won the, I can't remember, the, the Cannes Critic Week prize mm. uh, before going to Annecy. That's the first time an animated feature film has won uh, that particular prize at, uh, at Cannes. So... Uh, this film hopefully will will make its way to to all our listeners and they'll all enjoy it. Super. Well, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing what he has to say about it. I will just prefix this by saying, you know, Annecy is all about cafes, it's all about bars, and that's where the interview took place. So if you hear smashing and stuff in the background, uh, that's just the sound of a very lively bar. <laughs> well, we've uh, we're certainly no stranger to that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Here's uh, Jeremy Clapper. We're here in Annecy, uh, 2019. I'm speaking to director uh, Jeremy Clapin, uh, who has just returned from tremendous success at both Cannes and now at Annecy. Uh, the reaction for your uh, debut feature film, I Lost My Body, is absolutely incredible. You, I'm sure you agree. Um, how have you found uh, the film's reaction here at Annecy? Uh, yeah, Annecy, I have a story with Annecy because um, I think uh, I decided to make animation when I went uh, for the first time at the festival, uh, like uh, last century, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the last century. Yeah. And uh, it, it blew my mind to see so much a short film, different kind of technique and real, real mature uh, proposition. Not uh, Disney style, not uh, yeah. other thing. And um, so after my short film was selected, my first short film, then my second short film was also on selection, won a public prize, Skidzen. And uh, then after my third film, Panipedarium. So I have uh, like rendezvous with Annecy um, often, and uh, I know there's. My family, people I know, my contact who uh, was really uh, looking to see the film and the film uh, start to buzz a bit, not a bit, but at Cannes and a lot of people wanted to see Nancy so the film was really, uh, uh, there was a lot of people waiting to see what happened in Nancy so because I think people want to see adult movie in animation, especially this people here who came from animation, it's important to have this kind of film at the top of the light for a moment to, to shine everywhere. So. And you think Annecy gives it the perfect platform for this type of exposure for a film such as I Lost My Body? I think it's fantastic exposure for the animation world. Yes. In Annecy it's a little bit um, only about animation. Yeah. Uh, compares to Cannes, who is uh, is free uh, <laughs> more in live action, so uh, many people uh, for the cinema in general. And, um, but they like to see um, a film from their family uh, that people talk in uh, the world of the cinema in general. But maybe we, we could talk about your previous film, uh, Skitsen, as well, which you mentioned did well here at Annecy a few years, or a fair few years ago now. Yeah. Um, when you were given the opportunity to uh, write and direct a, a feature film, I see certain themes within uh, Skitsen and I Lost My Body 
um, disem disembodiment uh, effectively being being the theme that I'm talking about. Uh, is this where you begin with your your inspiration? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's I come naturally to this kind of story. For Skizen, it was start with a drawing of uh, someone uh, sit um, next to his uh, chair, not in, upon his chair, but next to his chair. And uh, this this uh, drawing uh, tells something not only graphic, but tell. Uh, I try to put um, uh, psychological things on this distance. What what it means? Maybe if he. If he is far, it will be more complicated to to be sit or if get closer. It tells another thing. So I try to uh, to um, to bring an idea or maybe kind of poesy on something uh, strange, uh, not uh, common. And for this film, for the future film, the fact is my producer uh, after seeing uh, my film, my short film wanted to, uh, to to ask me to be the director for this book so it's uh, coming it's an uh, initiative from my producer you know to have the book right so it was okay. not my idea I think he, he find the same kind of uh, um, uh, thing between uh, the book and the thematic around the body and my work my previous work so that's why he asked me to oh, do that. So it's an, uh, an adapted screenplay? Yeah. Right, okay, no. fine. Um, it's, I apologize, it's the French titles upon the, on the French credits and I thought it was written by, sorry, beg your pardon. Um, but a perfect match, I would agree with your producer for this type of story for yourself and to have uh, the, the story of uh, Neufeld, um, a young uh, I think it's fair to call him a bit of a loser, uh, a man who's down on his luck. He's not, he's not experiencing the best of times. Um, to be caught up in this rather uh, surreal adventure, where, where uh, for him everything is normal, and he, you know, but, but it's saying through this, the point of view of the hand. Which I believe you gave a name that's not named in the film. Yes, we call it uh, Rosalie because we need to put a name when we write the script. You know? Yeah, is that a female name? Rosalie is female. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because Newfell is a young man. Yeah. And the hand is. Uh, is uh, do, do you characterize it as feminine? Yeah. Um, Adam's family. You talk about Adam's family. No, I heard Adam's family. Oh no! I'll, oh, no, no so, sorry. The, yeah, I thought you were talking about Adam's family. No, okay. the, the hand. Yeah. Uh, in in the film, you characterise the hand as as feminine. Yeah. And uh, it, it, but uh, it's Newfell's hand, and he's a young man. So do you characterise in the film when the hand is moving? Do you do you as a director imagine it as a feminine presence? Yeah, I think so. It's like. Um, at first, uh, you know, when in the book, uh, Anne was talking to her because she. In the film, at the first version, we there was an off voice, which was not so good idea, and uh, we wanted to not have the voice of Naufel, but another voice, and we, we first chose to have like a female voice, but he was struggling with. There's too much thing, Gabriel, and it was uh, really give up really soon because uh, 
we wanted to focus on the particular of uh, the hand. I mean, the hand is mute, and we have to to be strong uh, on this kind of uh, axis. You know, she filled the world with a, a different way, and. Um, and in fact, after progressively, uh, I didn't put uh, um, uh, not sexuality, but um, doesn't care if it was a male, a male or female. I, get, I think uh, you ask me now, but uh, I already forget she called, she's calling Rosalie. So oh, okay, right. Yeah. I just remember that detail from uh, your work in progress that you did at the Anima Festival in Brussels, and I found it very fascinating that. A name is a name. There you go. That's that's just what you decided to. But you mentioned you mentioned yourself. Perhaps um, it's a question you've been asked before. But thing from the Adams family, the hand that walks around. Now, one of the one of the strengths of this film, I will say, and I think it would be very unfortunate if people were to see clips of the film and to assume that your film has the same feeling and the same meaning as Thing from the Adams Family, because try as I might, I could not link the two. The hand uh, in in your film is nowhere near treated in the same way as this thing from the Adams family. Uh, thing is a, 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 a funny character, a, yeah. a joke, whereas this hand you feel a lot of emotion for and, uh, and it's done incredibly well. But how did you manage to, to marshal that? How did you manage to control that so people would feel emotion for a disembodied hand? Uh, before um, feeling emotion, we, for the end, you need to give uh, empathy to have empathy. And um, I think we assist uh, at the beginning of the story. It is kind of the birth of the end. She go out from the dark. We go out to the light with her, and uh, she go out the pocket uh, bag. You know, like uh, she came to life. And when you see a baby uh, trying to make his first step, you want to help. You cannot stay in your chair. You so the connection is uh, really uh, at the at start at the beginning. Even you don't know it start. I think it start because you you see life coming, and you want to life to continue. And there's that obvious, there's that escape moment where you find yourself rooting for the character of the hand, where you're saying, "Oh, I hope you don't get caught." I don't, you know. But I think that that plays throughout the film that we see nobody ever sees the hand, and it makes me question if the hand is there, if it is just a, a fantastic figment, or I mean, this is an opening question. If you believe it's absurd, absurdity. If you believe in absurdity, you, the end exists, and uh, also you can consider uh, the end is just a mind uh, thing. I, I, I keep the spectator, spectator to deal with this question, but in fact, in the I try um, to make it real because for me she's real. Why? Because uh, some. People see the end. In fact, the the, um, the pigeon. Sorry for him. <laughs> He's not here to talk. Nope, not anymore. Nope. Uh, rats, of course. But there is a kids in the in a 
car you turn the head yes but yes, it's yes. Uh, not so obvious so yeah. uh, it's like uh, there is no contact connection not proximity mm. so it's just maybe he thought he, saw, he thinks he sees something and I play with that yeah. and also I try to make the I need really to to audience to feel that the end is real so she is blooding she's blooding you know at the beginning some blood on the so she if she is blooding she can be she is vulnerable so i need to i need to people to be scared if uh, there is an attack to be concerned and also um, sometimes the camera is uh, locked on on the background or on an object of the environment as if the as if the town itself is looking to the end you know so it brings more um, strong to her presence to his presence there are there are numerous characters that are in that are in the film only for only for a fleeting moment and the uh, only for a fleeting moment and that moment a certain moment one of them is a graffiti artist who uh, he, he has got his spray can and he walks on the roof and and, and writes yeah, exactly. quite a poignant uh, uh, paraphrase and if the yeah uh, to to fill this world to go alongside the flashbacks of Nufel as he as he is uh, rather desperately trying to find love it's quite a it's quite a beautiful thing to do uh, to fill all these characters I mean there's a lot of mystery to these secondary characters that are not part of the Nufel story but are part of the hand story do you interpret them in a particular way or I mean I like when uh, I put some uh, thing uh, give it to audience to tell a story to go into the film and to try to to look around why is there it's strange and there is no there is for me some I try to put my world into the film but uh, I'm I sometimes I don't like to argue too much on this thing because it kills it kills the uh, magic of things but um, for me the guy is like uh, Rosalie like two animals in the roof like two anonymous in the roof and they share a bit uh, a pass a travel just during a little moment and uh, at the end you know the guy is uh, is just is is concerned to to write something on the wall addressing to the road and he's uh, writing uh, i'm here uh, hey i'm here not here uh, so is uh, and when the end go just uh, on the top of uh, the roof where you ride this it was like uh, she was saying that you know to now fail so it's a kind of uh, twisted things to it brings uh, legitimate uh, because uh, Rosalie go to the roof uh, it it's legitimizes uh, this character anyway a new, a new voice for the hand, a new way of Exactly, projecting. like the title, but another title. Yes, yeah. fantastic. How have you found the journey of making a feature film compared to making short films? Um, terrible, because uh, for me, during the, um, the journey of this feature film, 
when you have all the departments of the film who get unlayered uh, each other, you're on the top of the hill, on the top of the mess, and you think, wow, never I will do a feature film again. You have too much things to do. But when you say that progressively, there is less and less departments, so you feel a bit more comfortable. So at the end, you forget what you just go through months later. But so at the end, you want to do it again, a future film, of course. So, well, um, so will you make another feature film? I think, uh, yeah, I think I have the opportunity now to be, um, because this film is really, was made with a free mind. I mean, I wasn't uh, constrained to do something and I didn't want to be. I mean, if, uh, if I'm not free, I won't, I, I keep, I keep on short film. I'm, uh, I'm doing short film because I'm free. You know, nobody tell me anything. And uh, I want to do feature films and to be free. Of course, to be a bit more concerned uh, because it's long and I have to keep audience. So, but I want to still uh, think I'm free. And with this film, and because uh, the success start with this film, I hope it will help to uh, to make another film with this kind of philosophy uh, approach. You know? One of the um, the issues I would say that faces filmmakers such as yourself is the fact that animated feature films do not get a fair uh, a fair chance to be seen by a mainstream audience. If you've made a film, if you're Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks, then you get a feature film release and you get to see plenty of people, plenty of people get to see your film. Uh, your film has been picked up for distribution. It's going to be shown on Netflix. Yeah. Are you uh, are you excited for that audience potential? Uh, yes, of course. I'm, I think it's the best uh, thing for animation because uh, we, we don't exist in, on theater. Different animation don't exist on theater. Nobody want to to program. Uh, nobody wanted my film because they didn't give anything. We didn't have a channel. So when you want to be different. Uh, it's really hard to exist uh, in animation and now with Netflix we're going to be shown uh, at the same time and uh, it will help a lot of people because uh, people will get educated to see this film and uh, if you and they will I, I hope uh, they will have a good uh, interest to see another film like that so there will be a demand there will be uh, I think it's a good for animation yeah. Fantastic. Well, uh, Jeremy Clapham, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today. Thank you very much. That was Jeremy Clapham, director of I Lost My Body, hopefully uh, coming soon. Sounds like a very intriguing film. I'm really looking forward to seeing it in full. Mm. I'm not sure why I've gone so quiet. I think it's just that time of night. Well, it sounds like another uh, belter of a festival. Sad not to be there, but uh, hopefully next year. I tend to space the Annecy's out. Like it's like a year here, a year off, a couple of years in a row, a couple of years in a row off. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll be there next year. I, 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 I was hoping you weren't one of these people that say, I'm not going back to Annecy until my film is in competition. Ha! That could be a long f***ing wait. I've, <laughs> I've heard people say that. Apologies if you're one of those people. But I'd be glad to have you back. Captain Pub's there waiting for you, mate. Superb. Well, thank you for uh, the report. Mm. 
Do you have anything coming up? Yeah, just to say Manchester Animation Festival is open for entries. So if you've got any short films uh, for our international competition, you can submit them for free on manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. But if you also work in animation, if you're a scriptwriter, a storyboard artist, a character designer or a character animator, then please nominate yourself or nominate a friend for an Industry Excellence Award, uh, both are open and available to enter for free at the website manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk and all films must be submitted and received by Friday the 26th of July 2019. So yeah, we've got that coming up. That's Manchester Animation Festival, which returns to home Manchester uh, on the 10th for our family day, the 11th for our academic conference, and then MAF 2019 uh, on the 12th, 13th and 14th of November this year. Brilliant stuff. Uh, for those animation academics out there, anyone who's interested or maybe thinking about their dissertation next year for, for university, there's a fantastic podcast uh, hosted uh, by Chris and Alex called the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I say it's fantastic because I'm on it. So episode 21, uh, they uh, are unfortunate to have me as a guest and we talk about Aladdin, uh, the original Aladdin and a little bit about the uh, new Aladdin that we talked about earlier on. With its rocking beats. It's rocking beats. Uh, go across to fantasy-animation.org uh, and uh, take a look there. From my end, there isn't an awful lot to plug. On the 19th of July, however, uh, my new film, Sunscapades, well, it's not that new anymore, uh, my current film, Sunscapades, will be playing at the Melbourne International Animation Festival. Uh, it's concluding a three-date Australian tour. This will be at 9pm at the AMCI in Melbourne, and you can find out more about the festival and its various events at miaf.net. Thank you for joining us, everyone. I've been Ben Mitchell. You've been Steve Henderson. I certainly have. At Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter, at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. And our combined Twitter is at Squiggly. Of course, the website is squiggly.com facebook.com slash squiggly magazine and instagram we're at squiggly animation pursue us on all of them please if you would we would love the company right that's me done till next time au revoir and happy animating uh, bon anime i don't know